1: They go bigger than I do in the book. And I mean, the book, you don't need a budget. You can put your characters on the moon or you could, you know, blow up Saturn or, or whatever. It doesn't cost a penny to, to type that in. But they but they actually took the book and, and made scenes bigger, made uh, some of the action, you know, like more larger in sport scope, more people involved. And um, that was really cool to see.
0: And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Number one New York Times bestselling author Mark Graney returned to talk about hanging out on the red carpet with Netflix. Gray Man stars Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, turning a failed screenplay into a hit audio play, and his latest, Armored. Mark's debut international thriller, The Gray Man, was published in 2009, became a national bestseller and highly sought after Hollywood property. He's released 12 in that series to date, including the number one New York Times bestseller, One Minute Out. Netflix has now turned the first book in the Gray Man series into a blockbuster movie starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, available now. His latest is Armored, a novel inspired by the author's popular, audible, original drama. Publishers Weekly wrote that the protagonist, Joshua Duffy, proves to be more than just a hardened military tactician... Readers will hope he'll be back for an encore. A feature film adaptation of Armored is now in development with Sony. Mark is also the number one New York Times best-selling author or co-author of seven Tom Clancy novels. He co-wrote Clancy's final three Jack Ryan thrillers prior to his passing. Stay tuned until the end of the show for a preview of the audiobook, audio excerpted courtesy Penguin Random House audio from Armored by Mark Graney, read by Adam Gold. In this file, Mark and I discussed his 15 year overnight success, how he continues to hit regular deadlines and write two books a year, what it was like to see his gray man on the big screen, why it's less important to be 100% accurate than to be entertaining and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of the Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on the Writer Files and I am ecstatic today to be joined by number one New York Times bestselling author Mark Graney is back on the writer files this is your second uh second time on the show man welcome back
1: thanks for having me back Kelvin.
0: yeah i mean you must be utterly exhausted because it seems like you probably can't stop talking about not only your latest armored um but also the uh advent of netflix film adaptation of the gray man what is going on over there
1: yeah, it's it's been a busy time for me. I had a Grey Man book come out in February, and then Armored came out this month. And then also this month, the first film from one of my books, which is a, a, a film adapted from my first novel, The Grey Man, is out on Netflix. And it stars yeah. Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans and Anna Armas and Billy Bob Thornton and a bunch of other really great actors. And uh, yeah, so I've been, you know, I was out doing the premiere for that, uh, two days after finishing my tour for armored and now I'm doing publicity for armored and everything's uh, it's, it's a crazy time. I've seen the, I've seen July 2022 on my calendar for a couple of years and, and, and gone like, Oh boy, that's going to be nuts.
0: Oh man. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, the big question is, are you getting any writing done?
1: <laughs> well, that's the, that's the, the real thing. Like if I just had to go out and do promotion, it, it'd be the one of these days I'm going to not have a book, you know, desperately do at the time, because, <laughs> because I always thought when I would see authors, you know, on book tours, that they're just taking a victory lap for this thing that they've done before, when the truth is, is like, I have a book due July 31st. So, you know, just a few days. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm desperate to to get there to the end of it. And so, you know, the day that I went to the big premiere red carpet event in LA, I was working in the hotel lobby till about two thirty, three three o'clock in the afternoon from seven in the morning desperately trying to get my 12th gray man book, uh, in the can and, uh, have a couple weeks to do that. So it is, it, I am getting writing done, but it does not leave a lot of time for anything else with the, uh, with the publicity and just the, uh, the book tours and other stuff.
0: That's crazy. That's just crazy to think yeah, yeah. that you're hanging out selling popcorn at the premiere i mean did they yeah. let you go inside
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 no we did the whole red carpet thing and uh, i got to go to an after party and meet some of the actors and um okay no I'd, I'd met the directors and producers and stuff before but i it yeah. was fun to get to talk to them and and uh one of the screenwriters that i hadn't met before steve mcfeely i, I got to spend some time with him and was excited to do that so uh yeah, it was it was a fun little diversion. I live in Memphis, Tennessee with my wife and <laughs> the two of us were there in L.A. And, you know, they they were asked Variety was asking me on the red carpet, you know, like, how does this feel? And I'm like, I'm just looking around going like, what the hell is happening? This is the strangest thing. I never even thought this book would get published, less much less there'd be a film made out of it. So, it's you know, it's a wonderful place to be. And I'm very lucky.
0: That's crazy. Um, And you're so humble. It's uh, been quite a career ride for you Mm -hmm. Um, from, yeah, I mean, everything from the gray man to now, it's got to be, it's just kind of head spinning to look at on paper. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, the last time you were here, you talked about, you know, just kind of that, that grounded feeling of kind of being, you know, you talked about being a 15 year overnight success and Mm -hmm. and the kind of the struggles you had to get, your first book published and now to see it on the big screen. I mean, did you get chills like sitting in that theater, seeing it, seeing it and, you know, surround sound and all that stuff?
1: Yeah, more actually more than I expected because I, um, Joe Russo, who wrote the script, one of the Russo brothers that, who directed it. Um, and, you know, I was out in L.A. several years ago before he wrote the script talking about the characters and, and you know, they were very inclusive and then he gave me that first script that he wrote, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I picked the right people. This is really, really good." And then last year, right as they began shooting, he sent me the um, shooting script, and it was elevated from the first script. It was so good. And as yeah. a writer, I felt like I've seen the movie, I've read the script, I've seen the movie. Um, <laughs> and then when I saw the, Yeah, <laughs> in my head. And then when I saw the movie, I thought I knew what I was in for. And I remember just yeah, acting you know, reacting very emotionally to some scenes because it, it was done so well. The actors, you know, they they took it to the next level beyond the screenplay. And I really don't know anything about acting or mm. or what they bring to the table. I mean, that's it's terrible to say, but it, it's like I, I recognize that when I would just see a look between the hero, Port Gentry, and the, the girl that he's trying to protect, uh, Claire Fitzroy, you know, not even something that shows up in the screenplay, just the way the actors react to each other. And I remember thinking, wow, that's exactly how I wrote it. That's exactly how I pictured it. And how really? do they know? How do they know that, you know, they, they had my book and they had a screenplay, but, you know, I never sat down with Ryan Gosling and told him how to play it, um, but it was magnificent.
0: That's incredible. Incredible. Congrats on that. Thank, um, thank you. Kind of seeing that You know, I mean, I know that you had talked about the book being optioned, you know, like way back in 2009 and just Mm -hmm. kind of feeling elated that anyone had even taken notice in Hollywood. But to see it finally (laughs) come to fruition in such an explosive, um, amazing, amazing way. Um, I mean, this is Netflix's most expensive film to date, right? Right.
1: Yeah, that's what they're saying. There's about a $200 million budget. And you can see a lot of that on the screen. I mean, it's, yeah. they definitely, they go bigger than I do in the book. And I mean, the book, you don't need a budget. You can put your characters on the moon or you could, you know, blow up Saturn or, or whatever. It doesn't cost a penny to, to type that in. Yeah. But they but they actually took the book and, and made scenes bigger, made uh, some of the action, you know, like, more larger in scope more people involved and um that was really cool to see
0: yeah that's incredible um yeah i understand that you know the russos were talking about kind of like this one scene in particular that costs like 40 million dollars to make Mm -hmm. and it's like a movie within a movie but yeah but but it sounds like they are trying to create a, a franchise in the mold of like james bond or mission impossible and that's incredible. I mean, to to kind of have that like maybe on the horizon that, that this could become like a, a franchise like that is pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, I, I told myself from the beginning, like, be happy that you're getting one book made into one movie, you know, in your <laughs> in your life. And yeah. don't don't be that guy that's gonna be disappointed if it doesn't turn into the next James Bond. Having said that though, I know they have very high hopes for it. And if it does yeah. well on Netflix, which I really hope it does. Um, I think they probably will go forward with more and I'm excited about that. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens. And it, and if it doesn't, you know, that's, that's okay too.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a very grounded way of <laughs> thinking about it. But uh, anyway, I know you're probably tired of talking about the gray man because from Cortland Gentry to uh, your latest, let's talk a little bit of kind of about the difference between the characters uh, or the care the main character the protagonist in your latest and kind of yeah kind of the contrast there because i understand that you know this professional bodyguard josh duffy and armored is is just a little bit different
1: yeah i'd say he's a lot different he's he's a blue collar guy who uh you know has has this job where he's he's been a civilian military contractor um you know, one of those people that goes downrange and maybe protects dignitaries overseas. Um, he, so he's very well trained in this one aspect. You know, like scanning his sector and operating his firearm and you know communicating with his team and and those sorts of things. But he's not he's not like Court Gentry uh, from the from the Gray Man series, who is this incredibly highly trained CIA officer who um, you know has gone into the private sector and has. Maybe a larger skill set. Josh is a blue collar guy who, you know, is doing this for the money initially anyway Um, He becomes very empathetic with the people he's protecting um, Throughout the story and that changes things but I mean he's he's a guy, you know with with financial problems and you know Two young kids and he and some medical problems and he just desperate for a job, you know carrying a gun in a dangerous place because it pays well And that is his motivation initially, and it couldn't be more different than the Gray Man. I thought that was fun to write.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's got to be an interesting departure for you, also, um, to be able to kind of juggle these uh, different characters and these different kind of um, life experiences. But yeah, I mean, how do how do you jump from writing a Gray Man book into something like Armored, and then at the same time talk a little bit about um, how Armored came to life because in truth it's it's almost kind of had like a reverse um it's gone from screenplay to novel whereas the Gray man went from novel to screenplay
1: yeah i mean it it went from failed screenplay to novel um, because i was the one writing the screenplay when I first started writing gray man books, I knew I had, I was never served in the military. Uh, I wasn't a spy. So I had some gaps in my knowledge and and one of them was with firearms and tactics and battlefield medicine and things like that. So I started taking classes, uh, in these things and I got deeper and deeper into it until I got to the point where I was actually training with actual civilian military contractors, uh, along with with military and special forces guys. Um, and so I got deep into it and, and you'd, you'd spend time in the bunkhouses and and team rooms with these guys. And I was fascinated by them because, you know, they're funny. Um, they're also, you know, working a, a very dangerous job and they sort of offhandedly tell you these stories and you think mm. well, that'd be, that would be the most traumatic experience that would ever happen in 20 lifetimes. And, you know, you're talking about it like it's just another day. But I got this idea that what if what if someone wrote a book about these guys, these protectors, as opposed to the dignitaries or whoever, the important people, the VIPs that mm-hmm. they protect. And so that's what I set out to do. And I started it as a screenplay. I had this idea and I built it out just from, you know, the training that I'd had. And I, I it turned into this massive, you know, screenplay should be 120 pages. I was like mm-hmm. on page one, I was on page 180 and didn't even wow. have the story. I, you know, at the time I was writing Tom Clancy novels yeah. and, uh, you know, I'm writing these 700 page books. And so it was hard to really edit that down. So it sat on a shelf for a while. And then finally, um, Audible, the audiobook company, came to me and said, we'd love to do a, an original audio drama with you. And we'll we'll hire actors and have sound effects and, you know, act out an audio play. So I just kind of pulled that out and I said, all right, I haven't finished this. But if you like the story, maybe I can retool it for you and do it that yeah. way. And they said, go for it. And um, and then I did it. And it, last year it was released as an audio drama, which was like a five and a half hour play but just for your ears, I guess. And, um, and I was really happy with it. But the whole time I was writing it, you know, I own the intellectual property. And the whole time I was writing it, I was thinking, I I really want to sell this to Hollywood. And I really want to write this as a novel, because I can flesh it out and go like, more layers deeper into the story if I do that. And fortunately, I I sold this to Hollywood, or it's been optioned by Sony. And, um, and then the my publisher wanted to do a, do a book out of it. So here we are. And I'm, I couldn't be happier.
0: So talk a little about your relationship with Michael Bay and of course, you know, uh, kind of a Titan in the industry, but what, how is that connected to armored?
1: Yeah. I originally spoke with Michael Bay because at one point Sony had the, uh, the gray man and they were interested in him directing it. So I'd, I'd had some conversations with him. I think he stepped away. I think Sony, sold it to the Russo who had written the original script. Hmm. So there's a lot of things that happen in Hollywood and I live in Memphis, Tennessee, and I don't even know what happened. (laughs) And I'm writing two books a year. So it's just kind of like, I'd get, I'd get these emails and I'd be like, "Uh yeah, um, I've been hearing about this Hollywood thing for 10 years. I'm not even paying attention. (laughs) Um, But uh, when, when Armored uh, just with the audio play, my agent out there sent it around and Sony was interested in it. And uh, I had a couple, several producers contact me about it. Um, Michael Bay and Erwin Stoff, who uh, his name perhaps isn't as famous as Michael Bay, uh, but he did um, The Matrix and Edge of Tomorrow and a bunch of other really, really good big movies. Um, You know, he called me and we spent a lot of time talking about the character and and all the characters and the story. And uh, I, I just really liked their take on it. So. Michael Bay and Erwin Stoff are set up to produce it. Um, there hasn't been a director announced. We don't have a screenplay for it yet, so it's still in the very early stages. And uh, I, for one, know how long these things can take, and I also know that <laughs> they may never happen at all. But you know, it's it's nice. Uh, hopefully, you know, with the success of The Gray Man, that that might light a fire under them a little bit to to get moving with this as well.
0: Amazing, amazing. Is this the? Uh, I, know, I know they're calling it. We're calling it a standalone. Is this the last we'll see or hear from Josh Duffy?
1: No, there will definitely be a second one. It is a standalone because it's the first, but I, yeah. the, my, my editor came to me and, and offered me a three book deal. And I said, all right, I'm already doing a Gray Man book every year. I've got an idea for Armored 2. I don't have any idea for Armored 3. Maybe I will when I get to the end of Armored 2, but I don't want to think that far ahead. I've got too much else going on. So let's just do two books and then see where we are and, uh, see if there's stories. I, I, you know, I I don't ever want any of my books to be, you know, done because of contractual obligations or something like that. I want to have ideas and keep it fresh. And so there will, there will definitely be one more armored. And then hopefully when, you know, if this is received, well, it looks like it's been received really well so far. Um, and if the second book is received well, then, then maybe we'll take it on from there, but, uh, it, it remains to be seen
0: interesting interesting um well congrats on the latest because reviews said that there's never a dull page of course publishers weekly said uh duffy proves to be more than just a hardened military tactician readers will hope hope he'll be back for an encore as as we will too mm-hmm. but yeah man lots going on so you just turned in a manuscript
1: well, it, it's, it's due, it's due July 31st. it's due, okay. It, it hasn't been turned in yet. It should, it should have already been turned in, but i
0: You're putting the finishing touches on a manuscript.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay. So you're, you're chunking out a, a part of your day to do that. And you, and I think I've heard you, or, or, you know, we've spoken about this in the past, but you kind of reserve the mornings for getting pages. Is that correct mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. That seems to work best for me. Just start as soon as I wake up and work as long as I can. And then. Do other things.
0: And I've also heard you say, um, you know, and, and, as you, you dig into like the specifics of, you know, these different worlds, uh, assassins for hire and, and the intelligence community, um, of course, uh, kind of global politics and, and, um, the state of, of the world, uh, you know, you've talked a little bit about just kind of your research process and, and how you feel that now, I think at this point in your career, that's less important to be like 100% accurate,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, when it comes to, you know, kind of the nitty gritty stuff, uh, than to be entertaining. Can you, can you like kind of just elaborate a little bit on that idea?
1: Yeah, I, I have sort of morphed in my, in my mindset and you definitely have to do the research and you have to go to the places if you can, um, you know, physically go to them and, uh, you know, learn enough about it to talk about it. Um, Early in my career, I think I spent too much effort and too much writing trying to basically just cover my butt <laughs> for getting emails. And somebody says, well, this wouldn't happen or this train doesn't leave at 4.05 at p.m. <laughs> it leaves at 4.09. And I do. I get I get emails like that all the time and angry. Ang- right? angry. Still? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the time. I, I'll open up my <laughs> email today and have somebody just fuming the fact that, um, you know, a particular building doesn't have an exterior because um, I just got this one the other day. Uh, it didn't have an exterior fire escape, this particular building in Cologne, Germany. And, uh, <laughs> and the fire escape is indoors. And, you know, in the, in the book, it's ex- exterior. And um, so stuff like that <laughs> used to really bother me. And I, and I would, you know, try to, you know, head these off at the past by, you know, explaining everything in the story. And then usually in the editing process, you would see what you've done and you'd clean it up. So um, it would get kind of worked out. Now I, I really do try and get the details right. In fact, August 9th, a couple of weeks, I'm going to Switzerland and Italy, basically just to ride some trains that are in, in the book that I'm writing now. I'll actually turn in the first draft of the book and then I'll go do some location research just because I've been so busy with with all these other releases and things coming out that I'm having to kind of do this backwards and I'll, I'll have to sort of cobble the details into the edits. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, write about how to build a train or, you know, exactly the, the <laughs> if the time, you know, if the train leaves at a different time, and I needed to leave at, at another time to to match up with, you know, another storyline going on, I'm not going to worry about that, like I used to in the past. And I, you know, people want an entertaining story, and they want it to be credible. And yeah. that's, that's what I'm trying to deliver at this point in my career.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, congrats on the latest you know, I I, I kind of was thinking about, because in another interview, I think you had mentioned that, or, you know, you spoke about kind of Red Metal, another standalone novel that you'd written mm-hmm. uh, or co-written mm-hmm. in 2019 that was a bestseller. But, um, yeah, talk a little bit about kind of like when you do, when you are doing research that is kind of uh, tapping into intelligence stuff and, and you do come across intel or you know kind of you, you see some you see things that other other writers probably aren't seeing or at least other civilians aren't seeing yeah what talk a little bit about red metal or maybe the the renewed interest in red metal and kind of uh, world events kind of surrounding you know russia's invasion of ukraine
1: Red Metal started one day when I went to the Pentagon, when I was researching a Tom Clancy book, um, I met a Marine, active duty Marine Lieutenant Colonel who worked there at the Pentagon. And we just became buddies. We became really good friends. And he wanted to be a writer. He was a good writer. He hadn't been published. And, but he and I would just basically talk about real world things, not even plots for stories, just like, you know, like, you know, how many T-72 tanks is Russia fielding and, you know, like what, what's their maintenance like? And, you know, like little things like that, that yeah. probably it started out as research for a Clancy novel I did. Um, but then Rip and I became friends. He became a battalion commander, uh, 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines out at Camp Pendleton. And I'd go out to California and hang out with him some and meet the, meet the Marines. And we just spent so much time talking about kind of real world events, Russia and, and the threats to NATO, et cetera. That one day I just said, you know what? I could go out and get us a book deal, and we could write a book together. And of course he was he was on board with that. And so it, it came out in 2019. We went all over the. I mean, we went to together. We went to um. Where do we go? We went to Germany. I went to Poland. He went to France. We went out to Nellis Air Force Base. He went to a submarine base. Got on a sub. Uh, which I wasn't able to, to get on. Um, even when we were out at Nellis Air Force Base, I had to stay out in the hall because the the pilots were having a meeting that was classified, and Rip got to go into it, and I didn't. So I was like the only guy that was sitting there, sitting in the hall because I wasn't allowed. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I I meet all these people uh, along the way, yeah. and you do learn a lot of details. Having said that, you know, I couldn't have predicted. I, I did a I did a Tom Clancy book. Uh, the last one before Tom died, we did together hmm. called Command Authority. And it was about Russia invading Ukraine. And it came out in December of 13. And in February okay. of 14, Russia invaded Ukraine um, and yeah. it, over there in the East. And, you know, people thought you were, I was very prophetic and Tom and I were very prophetic about it. And honestly, what it was, was, uh, you know, we'd read Putin's playbook and he'd done this in Georgia and he'd done this in other places before. And he was, you know, saber rattling with Ukraine and it looked like he might move. And if he did, we kind of knew what it would look like from what he'd done in the past. So that type of research really does help. You don't always get it right. Um, I'm working on uh, the 12th Greyman book now. It's called Burner, and it involves uh, Russia's money around the world and what hmm. it's being used used for. And I have to make a lot of sort of guesses about what the world's going to be like next February and what that war is going to look like next February when the book comes out and I'll probably be wrong about some of it. And I hopefully, you know, with my research that I'll be right about some of it. Um, and, uh, you know, right. you, you just kind of have to have faith that the the story is going to um, carry it, even if, even if the facts on the ground are a little bit different.
0: Yeah, it is interesting to think that, you know, that the sanctions that we impose to try to curtail some of the oligarchs, et cetera, you know, it, like when you read about tracking these, uh, oligarchs and their, you know, I don't know their money, but like their yachts and so yeah, on and so forth. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Like to think that, that, that these guys are, um, making money hand over fist yeah. doing certainly less than uh, good for the world and then investing money in like, uh, sports teams in right. you know, Europe. And it's very, very very interesting.
1: Well, well, the the book I'm working on now, Burner, the twelfth Gray Man book, it opens with Court Gentry, uh, very upset about the fact that he doesn't have the intelligence resources. He's working alone to uh, to get into Russia and and do some real yeah. good. So he's taken a job as a saboteur, going around blowing up Russian yachts around the world, and, th- <laughs> oh, cool. and that's just where you find wow. him at the beginning of the story. And he, he's like, you know, I'm I'm basically destroying water toys for a living. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the only intel I can get. And, uh, and then, of course, he gets wrapped up into something bigger and, and more, uh, in, I guess, important in a geopolitical sense. So, but yeah, that's where the, that's where the book starts. He's sinking yachts.
0: Amazing, amazing. Um, well, you know, as I look at the cover of uh, Armored, of course, has been described as an explosive action venture uh, in which a ragtag team of American security contractors fight for their lives in Mexico's mountainous cartel country, um, your name is bigger than the title. You realize that now, right? It's it's gotten to that place.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's funny because I, I look back where my name is so teeny tiny, and when when I co-authored with Tom Clancy, and this is this is how this works. It's not yeah. it's, it's not me saying anything's wrong with it. Um, uh, you know, I, I feel like my there was probably some contractual thing about how big my my name would be. I don't even. I think I knew at the time and it got in millimeters it got, <laughs> in millimeters yeah and, and it got or pixels or whatever and it it got incrementally larger and uh, yeah yeah now my name is is bigger so you know I'm I I still pinch myself I never even thought I'd get published which is why it took me 20 years to get published um and uh, you know so I was I was happy when I held that one little mass market paperback book that I, I wrote in my hand and thought that I'd you know reached the pinnacle and it's just uh, yeah. uh, am- amazing I've had a lot of good luck along the way.
0: Amazing. amazing. Well, I don't want to go over time, but I do want to wrap with um, a final question. Who who is your favorite literary character of all time? Now, having created Court Gentry and this kind of uh, legacy for this series, do you have a a, a kind of a favorite?
1: Oh, my gosh, that's such, uh, you know, uh, there's a bunch. I mean, I really like Nelson DeMille and he has a character named John Corey. And mm. I, I, I think I like the the earlier ones a little better, not to say anything's wrong with Nelson DeMille, but you know, I, I think, uh, uh, he's an amazing writer, but, um, you know, the, the first three or four John Corey novels were just some of the best books I've ever read. Mm. And, um, you know, it's of, of, of the Clancy, it's, it's John Clark. And it's so funny because mm. I'm friends, I'm friends with pretty much everyone that has written Clancy novels or is writing them now, Mark Cameron and Don Bentley and Mike Madden and, yeah. and uh. And whoever and uh, and everybody says, yeah, it's Clark, it's John Clark, it's John Clark. And, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to write seven books with John Clark in there. And, and it was never lost on me that, you know, that I'm you know as, as great as Jack Ryan is and as fun as he is to write. There's something about John Clark uh, as, as this grizzled CIA guy that was just even though he's in his 60s when I'm writing about him, um, you know, he's still this amazing badass and he's just a lot of fun to write.
0: Very cool, very cool. Well, we thank you for your time, your wisdom. Of course, I'll link to your home base there, markgrannybooks.com, which connects to all your socials. I'll link to the book, our previous episode together, part one, and um, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, thanks again. It's a truly inspiring story, I think, for writers to know that long ago you were uh, tapping away on a Starbucks and <laughs> seeking inspiration um, yeah. from overheards and, and coffee shops and bars to now, uh, yeah, it's got to feel pretty interesting to be hobnobbing and having cocktails with, uh, um, you know, these, uh, fantastic Hollywood stars, Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to be here and, and sure enjoying it.
0: All right. Well, best of luck with your, with your promotion and tour, and we hope you come back a third time and we'll talk more. <laughs>
1: love to Kelton. Thank you so much.
0: All right. Cheers. Thanks so much, Mark. As they
2: moved slowly towards the truck, Tabby said, We have to take you to a doctor. Duff shook his head. Sweat flew from his trim beard. No, we're getting you somewhere safe. He turned and looked at her. Where is safe? He knew he couldn't take her to United Defense's HQ in Beirut. They'd just push her out the door for the terrorists. Tabby had the answer. Hospital Wardier. It is not far. It's in a sector of town where my husband is. It was very popular, and the director of the facility is a donor to our campaign. They have good security there and excellent doctors for you. They reached the passenger door of the truck now. Sold. Tabby helped Duff into the seat, then rushed around to the other side of the delivery vehicle. She ground the gears. It quickly became clear that the woman wasn't much of a driver and had never driven a big, unwieldy vehicle like the one she operated now. Still, she managed to get it out of the shopping center loading area and into the busy street, while Duff did his best to conduct a 360 degree scan of the entire area. His vision narrowed as he did so. He used his left hand to press down on the poorly applied tourniquet in his crotch, and he wished like hell he had a free hand to pull his cell phone out and call his wife back home in virginia just one last time because he didn't think he was going to make it once they were on the road and heading to the northwest tabby looked duff how do you feel like i look watch the road see who play she glanced back out the windshield but soon turned again to the young american my husband Are you certain? How can you be certain he is dead? Duff winced, both from pain and from the discomfort of delivering the bad news. I'm sorry. He's gone. Maybe we should just leave it at that. She didn't press. Instead, she looked down at his leg. How bad is that? Duff shrugged. It's bad. Blood loss is the big danger. If I fall asleep, I won't be waking up. Tappy drove faster. Let us talk. It will take your mind off the pain and keep you awake. Duff didn't think there was a conversation he could have with anyone on Earth right now that would help him forget about the misery he was in. But he nodded anyway, then tried to think of something to say. The guard in the shopping center. What did you say that made him back off like that? I asked him to look at me, told him I knew he knew who I was. Everyone in Beirut knows who I am. Duff nodded distantly. How did you know he was a fan? I did not know. I knew only that he would either be a supporter of my husband or an enemy of my husband. If he was a supporter, he would let us pass. If he was an enemy, she paused. Then I wanted to watch you shoot him. Duff nodded. He'd been around Tabby for three weeks. It always assumed she was a shrinking violet who was more or less controlled by her authoritative and charismatic husband. Now he was starting to understand why the opposition was after her, too. She was a powerful force herself. Duff felt his eyes getting even heavier. He spent a moment trying to tighten the tourniquet again, using both hands to crank the little metal windlass. His leg was all but numb, and he was sure he'd stopped probably 75% of the blood loss. But even so, he knew he didn't have long till he bled out. He gave up on the tourniquet, rested his hands on his lap, and closed his eyes. Tabby seemed to notice that he was drifting off. Young man, what is your given name? Josh. The men call you Duff, short for Duffy. He then looked up at her. I know your husband's name was Elias Khabas, but but I don't know your first name. It's Rafka, Rafka Khabas. Nice to meet you. Duff chuckled, and his eyes drooped again. Is it really? Yes, it is. You saved my life. You are very brave didn't think he would make it to the hospital, but he said nothing because he didn't want to panic her. Instead, he closed his eyes and let his head droop a little.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's
1: writerfiles.fm.